Seattle's Morning News, Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. And joining us with his take on our current economic condition is Matthew Gardner, chief economist at uh, Windermere. And uh, well, let's just start with the housing numbers, because I notice a trend as in down, down, down when it comes to the median price of a home. Now, is this good news? Does that mean there are bargains out there for people who have the money to drop on a home? Um, down, down, down. Isn't that a thing that always gets people's attention? Uh, good morning, Dave. Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you can take away from this. I mean, certainly on the pricing side, both year over year, uh, that's the most important part. I mean, year over year prices are down in King County by a bit more than 4% and single family homes almost 7 So that's huge. Month over month, month, interestingly enough, they're actually up a little bit. So it's a bit of an anomaly. Now, do I expect to see annualized or at least 12 month changes of prices drop through the spring? Sure, I do. For one very simple reason, we had hit a peak pricing May of last year. So come this May, it's going to look a lot uglier than you're seeing here. However, if your listeners are thinking that there's going to be deals to be done all over the place, I would suggest that is probably not the case. And I say that because list prices have started to go up again. Now, Pierce County was the location to look if you were looking for a deal on a home, if you can call even that a deal. Are there locations around this region where you're thinking, hey, that's a good bet because they're building a lot of inventory there? You should look there if you're looking for a home. If you are judging where to look based upon our homes being built, <laughs> good luck anywhere in Western mm. Washington. Mm. Uh, it's just not. It's remarkably expensive to build. We've run out of land, as we've all talked about uh, before. So, no, I, I don't think so. Now, are people looking further out? Sure. And I think the more we find businesses really congeal their uh, decisions regarding uh, working remotely, which we've already started to hear. Obviously, Bob Iger at Disney made the announcement a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starbucks did, and, and uh, Amazon will be coming out with that decision start of May. Uh, we could find some people at that point, once they really know how often they have to be in an office, then they can start looking further out. So certainly the further away you go from the job centers, historically speaking, the cheaper it is. I heard Mount Vernon is a popular location right now. It's got a lot of tech companies up there. Unexpected because, you know, just having grown up here, Mount Vernon's always been farm country to me, but it has a whole different makeup now. A little bit, certainly. Uh, is it? Is it still, I would argue it's far enough away that I think if you're going to come, even if you're coming into Seattle, let's say, a couple of times a week. That's still a bit of a jaunt. Oh, yeah. So when we've had people going out, certainly Snohomish, Pierce, uh, Kitsap. Mount Vernon, though, I mean, it's, certainly it's an interesting area, beautiful part of the country, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And I think you could probably see people maybe there. It is cheaper than Whatcom County, so they could actually end up going north uh, instead of, of south if they are going to be working in an office directly. But I haven't heard that much about it being a, a big uh, up-and-coming tech hub. That, that I'll have to look into that. Tech and hospital, yeah. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk in the legislature which is now in session about affordable housing and how they've got, well, the governor's got his plan. And of course, we passed one here in Seattle. Is any of this going to make a dent, Matthew? What do you think about it? Don't hold back. Have I ever been known to do that, David? <laughs> um, okay, so I think we know that uh, there was a move a year ago. Uh, in order to create more incentives for what's defined as workforce housing. Now, those are households making 80 to 120% of median income. And the way they approached it was by saying, okay, well, let's look at nodes of mass transit, and you can do some increased zoning, some upzoning in those areas. 
However, uh, the proposal put forward, I, I don't think it was robust enough. It failed the House and the Senate didn't go anywhere. So I think the attention, certainly from the governor's office this time around, is to look not at workforce housing, but at low income housing, zero to 50 percent of median income. Now, that's something you can actually throw money at. Uh, you mm-hmm. can't do that with, with workforce housing. So uh, perhaps I think there would be an easier path. It is remarkably important to uh, to help those entities out there who are trying to create that kind of housing, uh, Lehigh, Bellwether, Plymouth House these kinds of guys certainly uh, their what their job is very important but in the bigger picture of things we really do need to look at that that workforce uh, housing segment so those would be the five so what is it so what does it take to make meaningful progress you have to open up more land yes you have to change zoning i would say yeah changing zoning i think opening up more land and we can only do that by changing our urban growth boundaries there is no in my opinion no political will to do that Mm -hmm. so let's look at the land we've got we're not making any more of it and is zoning appropriate today? I've said this before, as it was back in the late 1920s, early 1930s, when it was created. Now we'd argue all day. No, that is not the case. Is any other city like us where they struggle to upzone and, and change? I, I go to many other major metropolitan areas and they have the big urban housing projects and they've got tri-levels and quadruple levels. Right. And it seems like Seattle, just like everything with transportation, is just dragging their feet to get into the modern era. And a good example is I, I would cite is Spokane. Uh, Spokane has got a one-year uh, tentative program put in place that you can now build duplexes inside any single family zoned area. Spokane is doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, here, what's interesting, uh, I find, and it's a, a, an old adage, which uh, an old professor of mine told me many, many years ago, which is that liberalism ends at the driveway. Oh. <laughs> I think that's that's brilliant that's, because uh, yeah. a lot of people I know who are considered very liberal, it, it stops when you when you are, are touching my craftsman home on <laughs> Queen Anne. <laughs> and he's exactly right because for 98% of us, our home is our biggest financial asset. It's where most Americans create their wealth. And any concern, any belief that, oh, no, if, if you build some, some duplexes in my neighborhood, my home housing value is going to collapse. Or renters. You always hear about renters. Oh, oh, Nobody yeah, likes and they, renters. And, and, they, and they won't mow their lawns. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, and so that really is, is pretty much the case. So it is, we definitely get a, a remarkably big pushback from, uh, from neighborhoods and from owners there mm. who just, they like what they've got. They don't want change. But well, is Portland the same? Is LA the same? I mean, those are liberal cities as well. Mm. And, and I don't feel like they have the same issue. No, I mean, Governor Brown in, uh, in Oregon signed legislation uh, into effect, uh, I believe in 2018. You can now build duplexes inside any single family zoned area. Okay. Governor Newsom in California did the same thing last January. So th- across the entire state of California. So uh, there are things being done elsewhere. This was all started back in Minneapolis, who came with this plan five, six or seven years ago. And it's just it morphed, it's evolved from then. However, here it's being talked about, but uh, in terms of actually getting legislation passed, as we know, oh no, it's, it's are we difficult. too rich for our own good? Is that <laughs> well, the problem? Well, and that is essentially the case. Essentially, if you think about uh, housing values where they've gone here uh, over the last couple of decades, really since the 80s, uh, it's huge. Now, because our zoning was put in place so long ago, all these areas, and these would be, let's say, the areas between suburbia and our urban core, are in essence built out with single-family homes. So even if you were to make those changes, that means raising what's there and rebuilding. Is that going 
going to be uh, are you can, is a builder going to be able to create a product which is affordable for households making 80 to 120%? Not the way lumber is still Not, sky oh, high. Lumber, and, lumber's come down. We, we're down to close to $400 per thousand. We're trying to build a fence, and I just about fell over at the estimate. <laughs> but, but, but in aggregate, you're right. I mean, PVC pipe tracks yeah. all prices. Uh, exterior paint up 45% year Yikes. on year. Yikes. Windermere Chief Economist Matthew Gardner. Thank you, Matthew. You are always welcome, guys. Take care. 637 Seattle's Morning News. It is late winter, and that happens to be prime breeding season for a group of frogs in Portland. But the little amphibians have a big problem. Kyra News Radio's Heather Bosch has the story. A group of northern red-legged frogs lives in northwest Portland's Forest Park, but they breed in the Harborton wetland. Between the two sites, Highway 30, two local roads, and sets of railroad tracks. That can lead to a lot of squished froggies. Fortunately, the frogs can fit neatly into the palm of one's hand. And as this nice herpetologist on the Oregon Wildlife Foundation website explains... The Harborton Project volunteers help the frogs by picking them up and moving them safely over these obstacles to their breeding wetland. The Harborton Frog Shuttle now has 40 dedicated volunteers participating in a real-life game of Frogger. The human shuttle will bring the frogs back to Forest Park when breeding season is over. Now, the long-term plan is to create new local pond habitat for the frogs. But until then, the human shuttle continues. Frog mortality is down, and there is evidence of successful mating. Froggy went a court, and then he did ride, uh-huh. Heather Bosch, Hybro News Radio. Froggy I want to be a frog shuttle. I'm sure there are volunteer openings That's for you. That's so cute. Let's drive down to Portland. Yeah, how are those wildlife overpasses doing, Sully? Uh, they don't work for frogs, <laughs> but they're doing really well. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the, the one that we have on I-90 uh, east of the Mount of Snoqualmie Pass actually yeah. is doing quite well, uh, and they're seeing a lot of cameras people. out there. Yeah, right? they do, and they can like, you know, starting to see a, lo- a lot more activity. In fact, they're building another one uh, just further east of that near this, uh, the Easton Hill. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're becoming quite popular. In fact, uh, when I was uh, last time at Bozeman, there's a sign saying there's one coming on I-90 That's there great. in parts of Montana for ways to uh, make sure they, they have a safe way to get across the freeways. Choke points. Let's go. Brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. There is no such thing as a construction season anymore because there's so much work to do around the state that those orange cones are going to be up year-round. Chris, what's next? Well, it used to be so predictable, as you know. When the weather turned to October, the orange cones and vests would go into hibernation until about April. Well, we've seen that off time shrink and shrink over to the years to the point where the Washington Department of Transportation's Tom Pierce says there's just one long season. All year. Construction season starting early this year, and that's going to become the norm. We're, we're going to be seeing a lot more work continue uh, through the winter when it's possible because we just have so many projects coming up in the coming years. And this week is a good example of how things have changed. Projects up and down I-5 are racing to finish right now before the next huge restoration project between Seattle and Northgate begins later this year. The Seneca project, which we've talked about for several years now, will add about about 1,500 feet of lane to northbound I-5 is going to do some overnight work this week, which means some significant lane closure.
closures through downtown Seattle. Only one lane of northbound I-5 is going to be open from midnight to 4 a.m. tonight, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. We're going to keep the express lanes open to help with this situation, but the main line is going to taper down to a single lane. That's WashDOT's Amy Moreno, who says the express lanes should be your primary go-to. If you're heading northbound, that's a great option for you. That should keep you moving northbound. If you need to get into downtown, you're going to want to use Madison or Seneca Street or perhaps even Edgar Martinez. Up I-5 a bit between Everett and Marysville. There are three projects going this week. The first is the overnight lane closure on northbound I-5 to repave the shoulder between Marine View Drive and 529. That's for the new HOV lane project that we talked about last week. A little bit further to the south, WashDOT's Tom Pierce says there will be 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. northbound I-5 lane closures for expansion joint repair through Thursday night. We're going to be working overnights to replace concrete expansion joints on I-5 in Everett from north of 41st Street up to US 2. And in fact, we saw the late cone pickup this morning causing some brake lights heading into Everett earlier this morning when they didn't quite finish that up till about 6.15. There are also going to be some northbound I-5 lane closures under the 12th Street overpass later this month that was hit by an overheight truck and the work hasn't been finished yet. That overpass is the first one you pass just north of the Snohomish River. We are going to have some lane reductions for that, too, so that we can complete that work. We expect to finish that uh, by by late March. Over in Bellevue, people who use the Eastgate Park and Ride need to be prepared for five weeks without Eastgate Way. An overpass near the park and ride was hit by an overheight truck there and needs to be fixed. Eastgate Way was closed yesterday. That means we have to close both directions of Eastgate Way under the overpass, which means if you're going to the park and ride, you're going to have to approach from the west. We have a detour set up that takes you around and, and over to the south side of I-90, and then you can come around that way. That might be a shock to a lot of people who are heading to the park and ride this morning because this is their first morning without it, but that's going to be gone for five weeks. Uh, so if you live in around that uh, that Eastgate neighborhood, that's just uh, east of Factoria there, uh, kind of just south of the Bellevue College area, so be prepared. And it's also just a good reminder that since we're going almost year-round now on construction, give those workers plenty of room as you pass through those construction construction zones. And let's not forget that the legislature is also getting close to passing that bill that would allow them to put speed cameras in those work zones as well, uh, starting later this year if the governor signs it. So a lot going on. No more construction season. It's a, it's a year-round gig. And for the three or four of us who are there at, uh, let's see, it's usually about uh, 4.15 in the morning trying to get from I-90 to northbound I-5, they still have the cones up there that hour, so I had to go down. Oh, did you? Oh, shoot. And take the tunnel. So, wait, oh, so you had to get exit at Madison there because of the overnight? No, or, I, no, no, no. You can't even get on to I-9. Oh, oh, oh that's I-5. right, I-5. Yeah, because of that. Now, tomorrow, you should, if you're coming west, uh, you should be past this because by about 4 o'clock in the morning, they should be done tomorrow, which means you should be able to get onto I-5 past Madison uh, with the work that they're doing tonight, tomorrow, and the next night. I enjoy seeing what different neighborhoods look like in the morning. So. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not a lot going on there at Edgar Martinez no. uh, there, but... Uh, Not and, too much. And the t- how was the tunnel, by the way? The tunnel's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, well, except for it's it's already attracted some graffiti, unfortunately, at the south end. It was our only graffiti-free uh, oh, transportation facility for a while. Yeah, it's hard to get a little bit further into that to, to do a lot of work without being really put, put in danger. But you could access it because there are plenty of <laughs> there are plenty of stairs. Not going to tell are. people what to do, but there are plenty of ways to get in there if you really wanted to. Was it graffiti or was it street art? 
Oh, uh, I call it graffiti. <laughs> it, it was not that a very. Right now. There is street art, which is usually more of the high caliber stuff. Yeah, but this is very rushed and sloppy. Oh and, man. Yeah, let's not just confuse it's it. It's worst. graffiti. Not really that uh, creative. So anyway, well, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that they're making progress anyway. And so this is basically going to be perpetual. And as um, are there any long range plans for the the ultimate fix of of I five? I mean, because the whole thing has to be resurfaced eventually, right? Well, and as we said, the, the this is going to be the largest, I believe, rehabilitation project so far in state history. Mm-hmm. Starting later this year, the four years of work to do I five between basically Mercer and up past Northgate, yeah. which includes a lot of work uh, on the Ship Canal Bridge, obviously. So they've got to replace joints, they've got to resurface and put in new concrete panels. Yeah, that's going to be a very long arduous process with a lot of lane closures, weekend lane closures. Basically what we had for Revive I-5 coming into Seattle is now going to be coming for heading out of Seattle uh, for the next few years. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, there is, I mean, they can't widen it Nope. I mean, no. I mean, all they can do is, uh, yeah. There was, I mean, the footprint is what it is, and you can't really do a lot with it. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Matt Markovich joins us now. I think uh, you'll all be pleased to know that fixing the state's drug laws is a bipartisan effort in Olympia. So, Matt, give us the update here. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up, Dave. Good morning to you. So the state Senate passed the lone version of a fix that's being it's being called a fix of the state's drug possession law. We've been talking about that for a while. Um, but what I thought was interesting after I looked at all the votes and all the bills that are going through the both the Senate and the House right now on the floor, this has been the only one that had a real mixture of Democrats and Republicans voting their conscience and they're not going the party line. This is mm-hmm. the only vote I've seen so far, and that's why it's such a big deal. Eventually, it, it did pass the state Senate 28 to 21, but 14 Democrats and 14 Republicans voted for the measure. Uh, that's what makes up the 28. So it was a total mix and uh, democratic senator june robinson is a sponsor of the current bill i believe that the bill before us strikes a good balance i don't know if it's exactly right but a balance between compassion for people suffering from addiction and accountability now the main headline has been that now if you're convicted of a drug possession of it could be just a, any size of amount of any drugs uh you can get up to a year in jail. Now the reality is you're not probably not going to get that. Currently it's 90 days in jail if you refuse to uh, chances of treatment. Mm-hmm. But you know Democratic Senator Mark Mullet explains really how this particular bill works. You actually have four different attempts to get into treatment. And if none of those work, the judge has full discretion on that first arrest around whether or not you actually spend a single day in jail. You may not spend any time in jail. So it's all treatment all the time. That's what the idea is here. And you can opt in and out of treatment or opt in and treatment at any point of the uh, legal process. But it was the amendments that made this, I think, really interesting because, one, uh, it rec- because you have to be determined that you have a drug issue, a drug substance issue, mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, you have to give up your guns immediately. And that was an amendment that was added. It's kind of following a federal law 
Um, but that may be a discouraging factor for people who have guns, want to do the treatment route, but they have to give up their guns immediately uh, under this current law. And it also means, what does it mean to complete treatment? You know, does that mean that you just do your 21 days and you're done? Yeah. Well, they put in language that says they have to, and here's going to be the big argument, substantially comply with treatment rather than the other term what they were using was meaningfully engage. Hmm. So a judge has to determine they substantially complied. Now, Republican Senator Ken Wag- Wagoner looks at the compromise this way. On this side of the aisle, I can tell you nobody is jumping for joy to support this bill because many over here think we gave up too much. It's analogous situation on the other side. And that is how I know we got it right. <laughs> well, and, you know, Go ahead, Dave. No, I was just going to say I'm, that's that's the way compromise uh, works. Well, what what do you think here? Do you think this will mean that we're no, no longer going to see people uh, smoking crack on Third Avenue? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. You know, because one, we're now in the details of all this because. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, t- it's relying on treatment centers. Now, part of this bill includes the provisions that puts pressure on local governments to lift zoning restrictions to create more drug treatment centers, even going as far as saying supervise injection sites. So you want to have more mm-hmm. control over people who have a drug addiction problem and get them treatment. And obviously, you know, there's been lots of fights in various, in various uh, neighborhoods. They don't want these drug treatment centers in their yeah. neighborhoods. So it's putting pressure on the cities to do it. And also the cost. They said that this bill will only cost about $3 million. Uh, that's a fiscal estimate. But some senators said it's going to cost tens of millions of dollars to provide all this drug treatment. That we're talking about. I guess we'll find out. What about the warehouse workers? Well, this is interesting. They um, they passed uh, the House passed this bill uh, pretty much down party lines, uh, but it did get quite a bit debate. Uh, Some people jumped on either side, Uh, uh, so it did have some bipartisan effort. But um, basically, this is going to require employers that have a hundred employees in one warehouse or 500 employees in multiple warehouses in the state to provide written quotas for expectations of the employee. Now, when you start doing the math about all that, that's really targeting Amazon. Uh, Democratic Representative Beth Daggio is the bill's sponsor. No bathroom breaks, uncommunicated quotas that change randomly. We can and must do better for our workers. Democratic Representative Murray Fossey is also in support. Many of these workers are judged by a quota that's often not disclosed to them and then pushed to meet this quota despite the health and safety of the workers. Now, the Republican resistance was basically, you know, we already have worker protection uh, laws in the state already that prevent people from, uh, you know, you get bathroom breaks, you can take a lunch break. Um, but this is going as far as saying, you know, you need to have a written quota. And in that quota, you also have to show uh, what would happen if you don't follow through uh, on your quota. What's a, what are the repercussions? And also in that written description, you'd have to say when you could take a bathroom break and everything. Uh, Republican Representative Jim Walsh says there will be unintended consequences in this. It aims at the giants, but it's going to end up hurting the middle tier of businesses. 
Now, Republican Representative J.K. Wilcox, who ran several warehouses, he said, in his business, said this will slow down the supply chain, which is already slow. We have to get this right. There's a lot at risk, not just for the people that work in those warehouses, but for all of us that are part of the economy in Washington. So this is a bill that says, I mean, with warehouse workers now, they, the company doesn't tell them what, what's expected of them when they're hired? Or well, I think, but this, this is making it the law that they have to provide a written quota before they're hired so they know the expectation is uh, mm-hmm. that you have to do. Th- and then they have to create what's known as a speed report and provide that to the employee after they've been working there to show where they sit. So it's all about writing it down and documenting it in this particular bill. You also had a clip of the governor you wanted to play. Yeah, I thought this was real quick is interesting because of what the governor said during a press conference with the president of Finland, uh, Shani Naninas, I'm going to get this wrong, Naninsata, um, sorry about that. Um, and he had was in town yesterday. He was the first uh, foreign leader to s- actually speak with the legislature. Um, but the governor during a press conference made a questionable comparison when he said that democ- democracy is under attack, and he put the war in Ukraine on the same plane as the January 6th attack. You know, gravity is fixed, and nobody thinks it's at risk. But democracy is not fis- fixed, and democracy is at risk. And the, the attack on democracy that's going on in Ukraine right now, to some degree, is similar to the attack on January 6th on U.S. Capitol. Hmm. And I think some people found that very questionable. He put the war in Ukraine as the same plane as the January 6th that's attack. Date. I didn't see any bombed out apartment buildings in D.C. But yeah. yeah, that's right. I didn't see any. But uh, that, I think that's in, in, in just uh, just a well, and I watched that press conference. Clearly, all the questions were going to the president of Finland and nobody asked the uh, governor Inslee a question. And he was interjecting when he could. I see. <laughs> Matt Markovich. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Robert W. Baird and Company. Eight-year-old Kazen Hunter loves breakfast at his local Waffle House in Little Rock, Arkansas. With these trips, his meal is usually served by his favorite waiter, Devante Gardner. Hunter says his family got to know Gardner better over time, learning about his wife, two daughters, a three- and two-year-old. Gardner tells THV 11 TV. I came with a positive attitude. I treat everybody with positivity. I love to see everybody smile. And Hunter agrees. Devante's just a really nice person, really good guy, super nice to everyone he meets. But behind the smile, there is a struggle. For right now, you know, I'm working to get a car, working to be able to you know, move my daughters out of a, the hotel that we're staying in right now. He's in a hotel because he had to move out of his apartment. His daughters were getting sick from mold, and the hotel costs are adding up. All my tips and everything that I get, it goes straight to my kids. I pay for the room daily, pay $60 a day, and it, it just eats my pocket alive. His story sparked an idea in little eight-year-old Hunter to create a GoFundMe to help him pay for a car and a new rental property. It just be a blessing. You know, I'm always counting my blessings, always thankful for anything that anybody gives me. So it's, it's, <laughs> it made me almost cry this morning. And before we get to a total, hear from Hunter again and his dad saying it's been a rewarding effort. It feels great, honestly. Kazen does it not, you know, not wanting anything in return, uh, just wants other people to pay it forward. It's just feels good to help someone else. So, the hunters say the GoFundMe started out slow. They had a $5,000 goal. 
but more attention has come to it. I'm talking about it here. And the amount, that goal, it's skyrocketed. Just check this morning. It now sits at more than $100,000. That should help. Yeah, should get them a house, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Let's spend a few minutes in a place where it's going to be 74 degrees and partly cloudy this afternoon. That would be Peoria, Arizona, where spring training is underway. And Mariners insider Shannon Dreher is there to witness it. So we have uh, three weeks till the Mariners' home opener, which is against Cleveland, March 30th. But in between now and then is something called the World Baseball Classic. And uh, there are some Mariners involved. So first of all, explain what the Classic is and who's going. Well, the Classic is a four-year worldwide international tournament that is held very similar to um, Olympic style. And it is something that, um, unfortunately, because of COVID, it was last played in 2017. So it's been a while. And uh, countries from around the world participate. And it is particularly huge for those countries from the Caribbean. Uh, baseball is everything in those countries. And uh, it is a, a real matter of pride for players to play for their teams. And I think for a long time, you look at baseball, and they rarely let players leave for the Olympics. They may be when, that, when they are eligible. And when the WBC first started and when there was international play again, players from major league teams were not permitted to go. But in the last 15 years, uh, it's become more of a prominent uh, venture because MLB believes it can help promote the game throughout the world. So it's a big tournament and uh, they have been, the qualifiers have been going on for almost a year right now. And now they are wrapping up and getting to the finals. So the Mariners have got Julio Rodriguez, Diego Castillo and Teoscar Hernandez playing for the Dominican Republic team. And they are in the final semi right now, which uh, they will get ready in Miami for. Eugenio Suarez is playing for Venezuela. He's also in Miami right now. Matt Brash will play for Canada. He gets to stick in the areas they will train here. Matt Festa will play for Italy because he has a relative um, who has an <laughs> Italian citizenship. So he is in Taiwan right now. That's where that bracket, Japan and Korea and, and uh, Italy and a couple others, are over there. And then Harry Ford, the top prospect, uh, he is a born and raised Georgia kid, but it turns out both parents are British citizens. And so he's playing for Team Great Britain. And they're in the Valley, too. And they actually play USA uh, later this week. And that might be a fun one to go sneak and see. That's interesting. Do they do a DNA test or what are the requirements for playing for a country? <laughs> I think they're pretty loose. I think somewhere along the line, somebody had to be born in that country. Um, but you hear stories about, like, Mike Piazza managed the Italian team. Um, Nelson Cruz is, is obviously Dominican, but he is on the Dominican team and is the general manager as well. So it's, it's a lot of fun how players get involved and how they get to their teams. And these are all current Major League Baseball players. This isn't used as a, a scouting event or anything? No, it can be. Uh, it isn't current major league because they'd never be able to fill out all those rosters. Mm. And Japan and um, Korea are great examples, especially Japan, where there's a long posting program. Uh, they have a, a very competitive and very robust uh, NPB is a very good baseball league. And obviously, we've had a lot of Japanese players come over, but it's a complicated process and it can take a long time. So there are pros from Japan that will be on that team. And they have won this tournament before, uh, I think, because you know the names may not be known and they may not be major leaguers yet many will come over here Shohei Otani, you Darvish players like that have done that but um they 
play a brand of baseball that they are very familiar with. They play very well. They play team ball, and they can be an absolute powerhouse. So, um, and you take a look at the British team. Harry, it's not all players with uh, British relatives. There are a lot of Brits on that team. There are a lot of Italians on the team, Germans and whatnot. So, it's it's when you get to the finals. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of major leaguers plus the Japanese and Korean teams, but um, absolutely, it is a mix of everybody. Mm. So, uh, we were talking with Mike Sock about some of the new rules and how they're changing the game, and so I want to get your take on that, on the, the pitch clock and the the rules against the shift. I like the rules. The shift has not been completely banned. It's just been restricted, where basically your shortstop and your second base, your left to side of the infield guys have got to stay on the left field, on the left side for uh, the pitch, and the right side of the guys have to stay on the right side for the pitch. So it looks like a much more traditional um, setup, pre-pitch. And, you know, that's where you're going to need your athletes to cover the space, whereas in past years you might slide that shortstop over uh, between the first baseman and the second base or kind of that rover position position over in right field so everybody's got to be on the right side of the field in the infield they've also got to have their heels on the infield dirt you can't go into you can't shift over into short right for that lefty that big lefty and Mm. keep the left side open if you're an outfielder you can place an outfielder over there but then your left field is completely open and i think we'll see that from time to time so i think that's a good thing i think that's going to promote um, more action in the game Uh, the pitch clock everybody's talking about how quick the games are down here and spring training games can be just, you know, they, they never end. They can go on for three and a half, four hour games as, you know, unlimited pitching changes and 40 people that are available to play and whatnot. But with the new rules, our first game, I think down here, the Mariners played the first game with the Padres and I think that went two nineteen, which oh. is very quick. And yeah. so I think they're all averaging closer to two and a half hours right now. And I, I think it'll be good for those who are viewing and listening along, which we highly encourage on yes. Seattle Sports. Um, but I, I think it'll be a little bit of a challenge if you're actually in the park. You know, you might really need to be strategic. And when you, you plan to go to the concession stand and what <laughs> it does, it does That's move right. a yeah. lot quicker. But I do think the Mariners are, are adjusting pretty quickly. And you know, the batter's the one thing that really kind of jumped out after hearing about the rules all winter. It's 15 seconds. you got to make that pitch if nobody's on base. 20 if somebody is on base. What really jumped out is that the hitter has got to be in the box and engage with the pitcher. Eyes focus on the pitcher with eight seconds remaining on the clock. That seems to have been the thing that has tripped up people the most, which hasn't been very much. So I would say they appear to be adjusting to it pretty well. Well, I can't wait to see it in action. Thank you, Shannon. You got it. Shannon Dreyer joining us from spring training in Arizona. On Tuesdays, we go live to Washington, D.C., and New York Times investigative reporter David Ferenthold. I have to ask you about um, uh, Tucker Carlson's investigation of January 6th. Did you happen to see the any of the broadcast last night? Yeah, I, I read about it, yeah. Okay, so he showed some of the video that he got from the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, showing these demonstrators, including Jacob Chansley, the guy with the horns, uh, walking calmly and even being escorted by uh, Capitol Police through the uh, the halls of Congress. And he concluded, uh, he's basically saying, well, you see, it was peaceful. It reminded me a little bit of our own former mayor, Jenny Durkin, calling the Capitol Hill occupation the summer of love at first. And so I'm a little surprised that that he's taking this approach because it's kind of embarrassing. what, What do you think about it? Well, you know, remember Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, gave Carlson hundreds of or tens of thousands of hours of security footage. 
And I think, you know, that his Carlson's mandate obviously was to find something in there that made Republicans or January 6th rioters look good. And so it seems like what he's gone, done is gone through there and found, you know, snippets of time in which people were not rioting. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, we've all seen pictures for two years of the violent scenes outside inside the Capitol. But I guess there were some places and sometimes where people weren't fighting. They were just walking around. And you remember, even on the day, there was some criticism of Capitol Police for at times seeming kind of lax with the people inside. So, yeah, it, I mean, there, were, there were quiet moments. There were nonviolent moments during the day. But I don't know how that disproves all the things we've seen with our own eyes that yeah. really did happen that were quite violent. Is he going to go back and play footage of the peaceful parts of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations now, do you think? <laughs> right. I saw somebody posting a picture of Selma. You know, from the, yeah. the 1960s, like we had, there were moments where people weren't weren't beating up demonstrators. You know, most <laughs> yeah. of them they were not. But you know, you can find snippets of nonviolence, I suppose, in any violence, even a war. Yeah. I don't know what that proves. You know, it's not like it, that means that the other stuff didn't happen. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, the campaign, specifically the Democrats. I saw a, uh, a piece in the New York Times. Uh, one of your columnists saying that J.B. Pritzker is the Democrats' break glass in case of emergency candidate if Joe Biden does not or cannot run. So what do you know about J.B.? He's the governor of Illinois. What do you know about him? Well, I think he has two qualifications for that, you know, plan Z role. A, he is a Democrat who holds an elective office, not in a very blue state, not a red state. And he's really, really rich. He comes from a family that has billions of dollars. So I guess he could start a campaign tomorrow. The downside is that no one's ever heard of him. I don't think he's particularly well-loved, even in Illinois. And he has some baggage. There's an amazing story you should look back at from a couple years ago where Pritzker owns a number of mansions, and he wanted a tax break in one of the mansions where he was currently not living. I think he was, he was renovating it or something. And so he removed all the toilets from his mansion, which under <laughs> Illinois law would qualify the building as uninhabitable and abandoned. I so see. by t- temporarily taking the toilets out for one day or for a week, he got a huge tax break on his mansion. Wait a so second. That's the guy who's going to run for president? <laughs> Wait, he, I mean, so he got away with it? This is how Illinois law works? He got away with it. I, I think uh, some newspaper or some press outlet discovered it later. Uh, but yes, he did get away with it. I mean, this is Illinois. I don't feel like running anyone who's been in Illinois politics a long time for national office is a great idea. Yikes. I can see what Bernie Sanders would do with that. So, <laughs> right. uh, so in other words, you don't think that's going to happen? I mean, I think if it did happen, the Democrats would have had been in serious trouble. And they, there's a bunch of folks that if Joe Biden didn't run, would would run and have a better shot than J.B. Pritzker. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, really? So give me some names, because I've been waiting to hear who these people are. Well, I mean, the people you know, I think if Biden didn't run, or there was, you know, something happened where he didn't run, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, I think those oh, are the natural people. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. There's people out there who have been trying to give themselves a national profile much yeah. more than Pritzker has. Uh, CPAC took place. Apparently, it uh, it hasn't had the excitement for Republicans that it uh, used to have. Uh, uh, Trump gave a talk there. I didn't hear much new about it. What's what's your current assessment of the amount of energy behind the Trump campaign? Well, there's not a huge amount of energy behind Trump. He seems pretty low energy, and he's sort of playing the hits. I mean, he just repeats things he said before. The most notable new things he's talked about in his campaign this year is he wants to build cities for the homeless in, the, in, in wilderness, and he wants flying cars, which, I mean, we all want flying cars. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really know that he has a plan to get us flying cars, but he wants them. Um, 
That said, he still seems to be doing pretty well in the Republican primary polling. He and Ron DeSantis from Florida, admittedly for DeSantis hasn't started running yet, but those two are sort of neck and neck, and Trump may even be a little bit further ahead than he was a week ago. Really? So I don't think he's doing so. Trump is doing that great, but he is still a front runner, maybe the front runner. And he's actually still actively fundraising, I assume? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and having some... He's fundraising dinners. He's not doing. It sounds like DeSantis is really uh, all in on the the anti woke campaign. Have you guys done any polling on on how uh, deep support for that kind of thing goes in the U.S.? Well, I think there's two prongs to what DeSantis is doing. To win the Republican primary, he is doing the anti woke thing. So there, Florida, you know, has passed and will pass a number of laws. That restrict. He got some traction there. That would be an important thing. Yeah. Also, the anti woke thing is, is sounds like just big government taking over what local educators are supposed to be responsible for. Yeah, it, I mean, it, this, to me, it seems like I mean, it, a it's ludicrous in an, in an era where most kids have smartphones. The idea that you're going to control what they learn about by changing the books in the library. Yeah. But uh, but I think it is something that it riles a segment of people up, and those are important Republican primary voters. And uh, just checking in, has the Republican side in Congress yet proposed a budget that manages to reduce the deficit without touching defense, Medicare or Social Security? No. And I I think that we're not going to see anything that's realistically, you know, uh, it's not going to be like 2010 where they propose uh, a draconian budget that it would live up to their what they say they want to do by cutting those big, big, you know, at least trying to reduce the long-term cost of those programs. Um, I don't see that they haven't really coalesced behind any sort of coherent spending strategy other than Joe Biden spends too much. All right. Well, we will continue to wait. And I'm, I know you'll, you'll drop me a tweet if it happens. I will. Okay. David Farenthold from the New York times. David, thank you. Thank you. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.